The following is a podcast of 19 North, a college and 20-something ministry of Victory Family Church. For more details, visit www.19north.tv. Matthew chapter 5, what a blessing to be with you tonight. And I really believe I have something to encourage you in the Lord and in your walk with God and such a blessing to see young people serving God, seeking God out on a Saturday night and fellowshipping together. And so I, I really want to share something that means something. A lot of times we share things and it just doesn't apply or connect with people's lives. And so what I think's on my heart or what I know's on my heart, I think will, will be a blessing to each and every one of you because you live in challenging, challenging times you're growing up in a different world than even I grew up in, and uh, I'm not that that old, uh, at least by my definition. Uh, and, and yet, the world I grew up in was so different than than my parents truly grew up in. Things are evolving so fast; they're changing so fast. And uh, as young people, you you have to be equipped, and and if you're going to fight the good fight of faith. You're going to have to get established in certain things because of this undertow, this tremendous undertow of, of doubt and unbelief and, and anti-Christ. There is a spirit of anti-Christ that's been in the world for 2,000 years, and that spirit is very strong in our culture. And for you to overcome, there's just some things you've got to understand. And so let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these precious, precious young people for their heart for you, their heart for one another. And Lord, they're in a, a great season in their life and many of them are, are going to be marrying soon and going into careers and career directions and eventually have families. And they're going to have to raise children in a world that will be different than even their world. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen our hearts, that, that He would establish us in, in the faith, and that we would not only be steadfast in our relationship with you, but that we would be a blessing to people that are hurting all around us. I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, what I want to share with you and the subject that I want to look at is that of persecution. That of persecution, and I want to hit this from a different angle than maybe you may be thinking because... Persecution is something that I was not prepared for as a young person. I simply went, especially into college, so ill-equipped, so uninformed and blindsided by the doubt and unbelief and, and by, by forms of persecution that I just simply was not prepared for and it just overtook literally my life and my heart. And so this is something that we all need to be aware of as believers, and we need to know how to deal with being persecuted. And many times, because we haven't been taught even forms of persecution, we don't even realize what's happening to us and our faith, and how that the world and the persecution that's out there is is causing your faith to be weakened, and you've got a counter the persecution in order to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So the first thing, if you are taking notes, it looks like some of you are, is the certainty, the certainty of persecution. Uh, 
This isn't something you get to, to, to opt out of. If you know Jesus, and if you love Jesus, and if you truly are born again, and his life is on the inside of you, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So this isn't something I can opt out of. If you're not being persecuted, I can tell you something about you, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. You're not very godly. Amen. Well, thank you for that thunderous applause. (laughs) If you're not being persecuted, then you're not living very godly because if you have morals, if you have principles, if you have standards, if you have absolutes in your life, and if you know Jesus, you do have those things in your life. You may not be aware of it, but you really do have a moral code. You have standards. You have principles. You believe in good and evil, right and wrong, righteous and unrighteousness then in this world, Paul says, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to have opposition. Again, the only way to get out of this is to flow with the world. If, if you're not being persecuted, it's because you're running with the devil. If you're running against the devil, then you're going to experience measures of persecution. In Matthew chapter 5, I want to I read what Jesus said about persecution. Look at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that we're blessed if we're persecuted. Now that, that right out of the gate is contradictory to my emotions. Nobody gets persecuted and it feels good. Nobody goes, wow, that was awesome. They hate my guts. Uh, man, that felt good. They hate me and, and have turned on me and, and rejected me. So this blessing is not something emotional. This is the blessing of God and the promise of God. Blessed are, blessed are they which are persecuted. Notice for righteousness sake. If you're being persecuted for being dumb, there's no reward in that. Amen. And some Christians say, well, I'm just being persecuted. No, you're just an idiot. You need to, you need to smarten up. You're doing dumb things. You're saying dumb things. You're acting dumb. And and you're suffering consequences from it, calling it persecution. No, he, he was clear. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 11. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we're not even going to begin in our individual lives to relate properly to godly persecution till we renew our minds that A, we're blessed, because it doesn't feel like we're blessed, and B, he said we'll be rewarded in heaven. There's a reward for godly persecution and enduring godly persecution, suffering persecution. Then he said... That we can be exceedingly glad and rejoice for great is our reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If you're being truly persecuted for your godliness, for your righteousness and your, your principles and you making a stand for God and in the kingdom of God, then you're in the prophet class. You're in the prophet class. And so that's the beginning of dealing with this is renewing our mind to these promises. Now, with that said, with that said, I want to share the next category is is the the 
forms of persecution. Because this is where I wasn't prepared. When I heard about persecution in church, I thought of extreme forms of persecution. Like being a martyr for the faith. Or being like many of our brothers across the world that have to serve God underground in China and some communist countries and other countries that are dominated by, by religions that are militant and, and mean and, and will kill you if, if you don't convert to their faith. Many of our brethren that, that serve Jesus under those circumstances, they do face physical death. Physical death. The, the, the history of the church, many have been fed to the lions for their, for their faith. And as, as I've traveled around the country and some abroad and pastored now for 30 years, mo- most Christians would not have been good lion's bait. They, they wouldn't have been sport for the Romans even. If the Romans would have challenged them, who is Jesus? They would have backed down immediately and renounced the faith and denied the Lord rather than suffer being fed to lions. The thing about this extreme form of persecution is that everybody who experiences maybe losing your life for your faith, they don't waver with, this is the devil and I better, I better resist. They recognize it immediately and, and understand that, that this is such an extreme Maybe God really does live in my life. There's nothing in you and I after the flesh worthy of persecution. If you're being persecuted, it really is because Jesus is living in you. It's because his life is being reproduced in you. And if you face physical death, it will actually strengthen your faith because you'll know that's the devil and I've got to resist that. This other form of persecution is what destroyed me. And I see young people collapsing at an unprecedented rate. That's why I truly admire you for being here tonight. It has become very popular in your, in your generation to not serve God, to not believe there is a God. Of course, God deals with that in Psalms 14.1. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But among your peers, it's popular to say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. And you're considered the fool if you believe in God in this hour. So here are the forms of persecution that Jesus mentioned that we don't recognize and it chips away at our faith. It creates unbelief. It's very subtle and it wears us down and in time can wear us out. Look at verse 11 again. He says, blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. This mild form of persecution, verbal assault, mocking you for your faith, false accusations, lied about, saying all sorts of evil against you falsely. Rejection from your peers and your family is a form of persecution. Peer pressure. No one taught me the power of peer pressure and how the fear of rejection, when someone would falsely accuse me, call me a name because of my righteousness, because I was trying to serve God. I wasn't prepared for the college professors that would mock God, that would mock my faith, that would, that would call a Christian out even publicly in class uh, and, and falsely accuse us, say things about Christians that may be true about people who are playing church and really don't know God and just be in religion, but it wasn't true about me. I love the Lord. And yet all these false accusations, reviling, mocking, rejection, you believe in God? Like you're kind of weird 
if you believe in God. You mean you believe in sexual purity? You must be really ugly. (laughs) Nobody must want you. That's why you believe in purity. Amen. You believe in God? You must be really weak. Y'all don't recognize any of this yet? You believe in marriage? That a marriage is between a man and a woman? You're just a, you're just a gay basher. You're a homophobe. See, names, accusations. You believe in a God that hates? How can there be a God if he hates? You mean you hate? You mean you believe in a God that sends people to hell? You can't believe in a God. You say he's a God of love and he sends people to hell. See, you don't realize how damaging that is to your faith. You don't realize how subtle that is to wear you down, to wear you out, to get you to waver. The original sin in the garden when Adam came, excuse me, (laughs) strike that from the record. The original sin in the garden when the devil, who was not Adam, came to Eve. The first thing he said was, hath God said. And your culture, your hour, the media is constantly saying, hath God said? College professors constantly, hath God said? Political persuasions, hath God said? Everything you stand for is under assault. Every moral, moral stand you make, every righteous principle you hang on to is under assault. At every single level. And it is designed by Satan to rob you of your faith. To get you to doubt God. To get you to back up, back out, or back down to what God has said. And if you're not properly prepared, you'll start to compromise and waver about what God said here. And what God said there. And what God said here. And one day you're going to wake up and you're going you're gonna to wonder, well, wait a second. Is this really real or not? Is there a God? And, and am I saved? And... It's such a subtle thing. Mild persecution is more dangerous than extreme persecution because you don't recognize it's the devil and an assault on your faith. Boy, thank you for that. Did that just go over everybody's head or did it not mean anything to you? Mild persecution is more dangerous. It is more dangerous being mocked and made fun of And everything God has said, and you being established in the things of God, being under assault verbally, is more deadly than somebody threatening to kill you if you don't renounce the faith. Because if somebody threatens to kill you, you know immediately this is not right, their heart's not right, something's bad here, this is the devil, and I'm going to make a stand. But when they come to you subtly and challenge what is good... What is love? What is compassion? What really is right? What really is wrong? And you're not established, it begins to erode away at your, at your faith. Go to, go to John 12 and let me show you something about peer pressure even. John chapter 12. Friends rejecting you. People making fun of you if you don't, if you don't want to want to get high, if you don't want to get drunk, if you don't want to party, 
and them rejecting you and mocking you. God did not create any of us for rejection. The reason it hurts so bad when people falsely accuse you, the reason it hurts so bad when people reject you, the reason it hurts so bad when people talk behind your back and call you names or, or lie on you, even your friends, your close friends, even Christian friends, the reason all that stuff hurts so bad is because God didn't create any of us to be rejected. God created us for fellowship with Him and for fellowship with each other. If there hadn't have been sin introduced to this world through Adam and Eve and their high treason in the garden, you would have never felt rejection. You'd have never had anybody turn on you, anybody Again, reject you. God didn't create you for rejection. He created you for love. He created you for fellowship. He created you for relationship. He created us for friendship. God is called our friend. Friends are important. In raising children, this was something I had to teach our church and I taught my children of the power of friends. Friends and the influence of friends is a powerful force in your life. And if you don't understand some things again about persecution and friends rejecting you at points in your life, you'll compromise your faith. And you give a little ground, you'll give more ground. And then you give a little more ground, you'll give a lot more ground. And before you know it, you just disappear one day in the things of God. And your life just begins to crumble because it's the Word of God that empowers us. It's the Word of God that... That, and, and faith in God that causes all these wonderful things in our lives to be so fulfilling. And when we walk away from God or we walk away from, from the house of God and the things of God, our lives begin to just supernaturally fall apart. In, in Romans, or excuse me, John chapter 12, this right here really touched my heart years ago because I was going through some rejection from my peers See, one of the things I wasn't taught was peer pressure doesn't leave you after high school. I've never heard anybody say what I just said or what I'm about to say. I never heard anyone say that was in authority my whole life that peer pressure will follow you till the day you die. I really thought once you get out of high school, this is childish stuff and people don't treat one another this way. <laughs> Have you gotten your sober, rude awakening yet? Did you know after college it doesn't change? When you go into a career it doesn't change? If you go into the ministry, did you know the peer pressure among preachers causes preachers to disobey God? Most preachers are afraid to teach the Bible in their church for a fear of rejection of the people. Or they refuse to go on into the things of God for a fear of their fellow preachers. And that's what this says here in John chapter 12, verse 42. Well, look at verse 41. These things saith Elias when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. We're talking about the chief rulers here. They believed on him. The him there's Jesus. They believed on Jesus. But watch this. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says, The, the fear of man is a snare, to trap. These were Pharisees or, or chief rulers. And it says they believed on Jesus, but they would not confess him. 
which if they won't confess him, they're not going to be saved. You know the devil believes in Jesus. Okay, the scriptures say that the devils believe. James said the devils believe and tremble. The devils are doing better than most Christians. They're trembling. (laughs) They believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O man, that faith without works is dead? See, the devil believes in Jesus, but he can't act on it. He acts contrary to it. So just mentally believing in Jesus is not salvation or the devil will be saved. And let me tell you, no matter what you hear, the devil's not saved, nor will he be saved. Amen. And that's more important than you think it is because there's a lot of crazy preaching going on today. Bottom line is, bottom line is they believed, but they were afraid to confess him as Lord because they would be pushed out of the synagogue. They'd be rejected. Think about that. And then it says they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. The only way you're going to overcome peer pressure is to love the praise of God, the approval of God more than the praise of men. There's nothing wrong with with wanting to be accepted by your peers. That's natural. And even praised by by your peers. That's natural. But it's when you care more about what people think about you than what God thinks about you that you disobey God. When you care more about what people are saying than what God is saying. When you care more about what people believe versus what God told you to believe, then you're going to compromise. And and it's going to ultimately create problems for you. Again, there are so many issues you're having to face. You need to be in a good church. I can tell you that for sure. You need good friends that love God. And I'll close with, with that on how to overcome in our hour, but you've got the issue again of just faith in God in general. More and more people are claiming to be atheist, but it's just a false claim. There is no such thing as an atheist, and you need to understand that. God says in Romans chapter 1 that He has revealed Himself to every person on the planet, even His Godhead and eternal power, so that they are without excuse. When somebody says to you, I don't believe in God, you just need to lovingly say, Well, you believe in lying. Well, what do you mean? Well, you believe in a God. No, I don't believe there is a God. No, you're lying. You know there's a God. You don't want to believe in Him. You don't want to serve Him. That's probably true. But you know there's a God because God said every man knows there's a God. He reveals Himself to every man's conscience. And they will be held accountable for that knowledge. So there's no such thing as an atheist. You put an atheist in a foxhole, shoot a scud missile over him, he'll cry out to a God he doesn't believe in. Everybody knows there's a God, but they choose to not believe. They choose to not accept. They choose to give or not give him thanks nor glorify him. Then they're given over to a reprobate mind and ultimately self-destruct is what Romans chapter one says. But you're going to have to deal with that in your culture far more than I had to deal with it. So you need established in the, in the faith you have in the reality of God. One of the, the big things that, that again, that your, your generation deals with that is amazing to me of how quick we're, we're devolving. Things are not evolving, they're devolving is what's happening in reality in our world. And that is this institution of marriage. The scriptures are clear what a marriage is. We're the first generation. Your generation and my generation is the first generation in the history of the human race to question what a marriage is. For thousands of years, lost people didn't question the institution of marriage. The church obviously has never questioned the institution of marriage. 
The scriptures are as clear about marriage as anything under the planet. That it's a boy, a girl, a male, a female. And the two become one. A male and a male don't have the proper plumbing to become one. A female and a female do not have the proper plumbing to become one in the covenant of marriage. There's no such thing as a gay marriage. That's an oxymoron. And you're a moron if you believe in it. There's no such thing. God says that's an abomination. Your media, your college professors, your philosophers, the humanist of this hour say something's wrong with you if you believe in the institution of marriage between a man and, and a woman. And, and you must hate gays. And you must be a mean person. And you, the assaults never end. And it's every day you're going to be assaulted on this issue. And if you don't know the Word of God and you don't know God and you don't understand the love of God and God's plan for man, you're going to get confused. And if you compromise there, what's to say you won't compromise here? And then compromise here? And then compromise there? Again, sexual purity is so biblical you have to have help to miss it. You're supposed to flee fornication. (laughs) Amen? Now the culture's helping you miss it. But you have to flee fornication. Do you realize, dear ones, I don't know if you've been taught this yet, but every sin that a man commits is without the body. But he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Now what in the world does that mean? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says to flee. Feet don't fail me now. Feet don't fail me now. Flee fornication. Avoid the appearance of evil. Because every sin that a man commits is without the body. But he that commits fornication, that sexual perversion, that sex outside of marriage... He that commits fornication sins against what? His own body. See, if I sin, if I lie, I don't know any of you enough to not offend. So, uh, Zach. (laughs) If I sin against Zach, there's a consequence to that. Even though I'm saved, and even though God loves me and has already forgiven me. and, And that sin has has been dealt with in the flesh of Jesus and God's mercies toward me. Just because God loves me and I'm forgiven still doesn't mean that sin isn't deadly and has consequences. All sin has consequences, repercussions. So I sin against Zach and I lie on him, let's say. I just tell an outright lie. I attack his character and, and I, I, I hurt him because all sin hurts you and others. So I, I hurt him somehow. The consequence may come in my ministry. The consequence, the wage, payday, may come in the sense of it gets back to John and he never, Pastor John, and he never invites me to speak. That would be a consequence. Or it, it, it gets to one of you and, and you get in the flesh and, and hit me. I reaped a bad consequence. And now I've got to deal with you because I'm going to deck you back. And then I've got to explain to the church how I was carnal. I wasn't led by the Spirit. I was full of something, but it wasn't the Holy Ghost. You, you get my po- consequences come in all. It could come into my finances. There, there could have been somebody uh, that was involved in that 
sin, it was a financial partner of mine was given 100000 a month. And it offended them so bad they quit giving. Am I making sense? I'm not making sense. Okay, I'll keep going. The consequence of all of our sins, you can't predict where the wage, the consequence is going to come. If I sin over here, there's a consequence, but it might manifest over here. If I sin this way, consequence, but it comes in this. The Bible says when you commit sexual sin, the consequence comes into your body. You sin against your body. The Bible in the Old Testament calls it confusion. See, your body was created for, for marriage and for covenant and for commitment to one person, a spouse. And, and once you violate that covenant, then the consequences start coming into your, into your body. That's why we have herpes. That's why we have uh, gonorrhea. That's why we have all these sexually... Tra- Am I okay? I can, this is the big boys, right? Uh, AIDS. See, the consequence comes... Am I making sense, at least? Surely you've heard some of this. The consequence... Not the AIDS part of the gonorrhea, but... uh, I'm talking about the principle. Two virgins meet, they get married. They don't ever get gonorrhea, herpes. Why? God sanctifies their sex in the boundary and covenant of marriage. The bed is undefiled, but whoremongers... And adulterers, God says he'll judge. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So sex within marriage, see, it's sanctified by God so it doesn't have the consequences. And the world can't understand that. There's no way a lost... You guys are looking at me kind of funny. And you're supposed to have the Holy Ghost and be born again and love the Word of God and understand spiritual things. The world can't understand that. So they are blinded and deafened To any kind of consequence that comes from sexual perversion. So they get so mixed up in their mind. They talk about all this sexuality in terms of freedom and love. And and yet God warns us that, that sex outside of marriage can be very dangerous and deadly in your life. So you want to be pure. Can I get a witness at least? You want to stay pure. Because of every sin that a man commits is without his body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. So see, you will be attacked, you'll be made fun of, so you want to stay pure, you want to stay righteous. But look at all the names you'll be called, look at all the rejection you'll experience, look at how you'll be mocked. That's just the devil persecuting you, trying to get you again to back, back out or back down on your, on your faith, on your faith. Again, how can, how can there be a God of love and there be a hell? See, the world cannot understand the love of God. It's foreign to them. God hates out of his love. And unfortunately, that's foreign to most believers. They don't understand the anger of God. The, the hate, hating that God does. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, the scriptures say that, that, yea, God hates six things, yea, seven. And he lists seven things God hates. He hates a proud look. He hates feet that are quick, quick to shed innocent blood. He hates sowing discord among the brethren. And then in Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament, verse 9, we are commanded to let our love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Did you know there are some things that it's godly for you to hate it? Amen. Amen. Did you know there's some things it's godly to be angry about? 
There is a godly anger, a righteous anger. See, God hates what hurts and destroys what he loves. The reason God hates is because he loves. If God didn't love, he wouldn't hate. And God loves you so much, he hates anything that hurts you or harms you or destroys you. And I've got a series of tapes called Four Faces of Love or CDs, Four Four Faces of Love. And I deal in detail with the love of God and how his hate comes out of his love. And because the world doesn't have any love, their hatred is perverse. And yet they mock you if you hate sin. If you hate unrighteousness. Go to Isaiah 14 and I want to rock your world. Is that all right? I'm going to rock your world on what got Satan kicked out of heaven. And I'm going to apply this in the light of the national media, college professors, your peers. All media at large is is coming at your faith and chipping away at your faith in God. Whether it be Hollywood, politicians at large. There's exceptions to every rule, but primarily everything is assaulting your faith in God and and morals and values and principles and standards and the kingdom of God that we're all a part of. And Satan is subtle. Satan corrupts the good things of God. And I want to show you what got him kicked out of heaven. And I would quote it, but every time I quote it, people go, what? What? That ain't in the Bible. Of course, they've never read the Bible. <laughs> this is a, a word about Lucifer and his falling. Look at Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? In other words, how'd you get your butt kicked out of heaven? That'd be, that'd be a good translation. How'd you get kicked out of heaven? Son of the morning... How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in your heart, here's what he said, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also, or sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now mark this, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now underline this, because you're not going to believe it. I will be like the Most High. I will be like God. I will be like God. The devil didn't get kicked out of heaven for trying to be the devil. The devil doesn't want to be a, a, a pimp. I'm going to be a pimp. I'm going to be a drug dealer. I'm going to be darkness personified. I'm going to be mean and mad and evil and wicked and... No. The devil said, I'm going to be like God. Well, what's God like? Holy, righteous, good, judge. The devil got kicked out of heaven for what most Christians are praying for all the time. Now, listen to me carefully. You can lose me here. And I don't want you to lose me yet. I'm not saying it's wrong to say, Father, I just want to be like you. I understand our heart when we say and we pray. I want to be like God. But that prayer in its context of 
Not, I want to be like you without you, independent of you. Our prayer is, we want to be like God as we walk with you and as we yield to you and as we trust you. Satan wanted to be like God, independent of God. In other words, God would say, this is good, and the devil would say, no, this is good. God would say, this is righteous, and the devil would go, no, this is righteous. Go to, go to Isaiah chapter 5. Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, Hath God said, don't eat of that tree? God knows that in the day you eat of that tree, you will be as God's knowing good and evil. Original sin in Satan was, I know what's good without God telling me what's good. I know what's righteous without God telling me what's righteous. I know how to judge. I'm wise. I'm smart. I don't need God to be good. I don't need God to know what's right. I don't need to know and, and have God to know what's up. And he said the same thing to Adam and Eve. He said that God knows the day you disobey him. See, don't get hung up on what the fruit was, an apple, which it probably wasn't an apple. The issue isn't what the, what the fruit of the tree was. The issue is choice. The issue is for us to be human and really be like God. We had to be sovereign. We had to have a free will. We had to choose. Love is not love unless you choose. You can't make somebody love you. Okay, I think maybe y'all needed to hear that one. You can't make anybody love you. God didn't create us and make us love him. He had to give us a choice and it had to be real. For there really to be a choice, there had to really be a choice. And he put that tree so they would legitimately have a choice to obey or disobey. Love God or love themselves, independent of God. And the devil says, go ahead, disobey God. So don't get hung up on the fruit or the eating, that issue. The issue is, disobey God. And without God and relationship with God, you can know what's good and evil. And that's the world you live in, dear ones. Man today at large is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, independent of God. You and I have chosen to eat of the tree of life. And that tree is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We've chosen to obey God. We've chosen to make Him Lord. Let me help you. I don't know how it is in the north, but the word Lord means boss. Jesus is boss. Here's what I think. What do you say, Jesus? <laughs> oh, okay. I think it ain't so good. Here's how I feel. What do you think about that? Oh, okay, I better quit feeling that way. Here's what I think is good. Here's what I think is compassion. Jesus, I think it's compassionate. And my world is telling me it's very compassionate to do this. What sayest thou? And the boss... The Lord says, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. Yeah, but compassion. I want to take from people that have things. And I want to give to people who don't have things. Because that's compassionate. If a man doesn't work, the man shouldn't eat. 
Thank you for that thunderous applause. <laughs> Amen. Y'all know that's in the Bible, don't you? I'm not going too fast, am I? Yeah, see, we think, we think it's compassion to take from people their stuff and give to people who don't have any stuff. Not realizing that's not love, that's not compassion, that's thievery. That's theft. That's immoral. And yet you're going to hear between now and November. Got one, two, three Snickers. <laughs> Only a couple with me here. How compassionate it is for people who can work not to work and be given stuff. And yet God's word is clear on those things. Everybody say, I love love. Brother Dwayne. I feel better. Uh, you You mean you voted against gay marriage? You, you must be a homophobe. You hate gays? You're going to hear all this stuff constantly. Abortion? The right to life, the sanctity of human life? You're going to hear it's a good thing to abort a baby. It's a compassionate Godly thing, a woman has a right to her body. And if you don't, if you don't read the Bible and you don't go to a good church, you're not even going to know that, that the, the New Testament specifically says that you do not belong to yourself any longer. If you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And if you've read any of the Bible, you know that that God knew us in our mother's womb, called us in our mother's womb, and sanctified us for a specific purpose in our mother's womb. And if you've read the Bible, you know John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost in his second trimester. And God doesn't fill tissue masses with the Holy Ghost. He puts the Holy Ghost on people. He fills people with the Holy Ghost. And those same people who condemn you, mock you, make fun of you, attack you, assault you, those same people will turn around who said we have a right to our own body. They'll pass a national health care law and now For the rest of our lives, new laws are going to be cropping up of what we can eat and what we can't eat, what we can drink and what we can't drink because we're putting a strain on the healthcare system and and we've got to control you guys now and you can't eat like pigs anymore. Boy, it gets quiet in this full gospel Presbyterian, Methodist, (laughs) Episcopalian, Baptist, Church of Christ that let the drums in. You, you need to, you need to get established in in the kingdom of God in a way that you're not shook by all this psychobabble because it's coming at you constantly and warring. See, there's a battle, and we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places, but we don't recognize it's the devil because it's not extreme persecution. It's mild reviling you 
falsely accusing you, calling you all kinds of names. It's all persecution. Listen at this, and this is incredible. Isaiah speaking again in, in for the sake of time, go to verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. God says homosexuality is an abomination. Politicians say it's natural and compassionate. We need to understand what these people are going through. I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, and it's easy to misunderstand in a forum like this. I'm not saying we should be mean to anybody. I'm not saying we should persecute anyone in any type of sin. I'm not saying we should hate anybody. But to hate a sin is to love a person. I hate what's destroying them. I hate what's destroying their destiny. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not picking on gay people or homosexuality. I hate fornication. I hate adultery. I hate bestiality. I hate child molestation. See, where does this stuff end? You live in a world that calls good evil and calls evil good. They call what's bitter sweet. And what's sweet? Bitter. (laughs) They call what is outright darkness, light. And they call light, darkness. They are wise in their own eyes. They actually think they're holier than God. Wiser than God. Smarter than God. More compassionate than God. It is so subtle That it corrupts the minds and has corrupted your generation's mind at large. There are things that you guys wrestle with that that I never even questioned coming up in church. It was like, well, that's easy. And it's like it's become so complex because Satan is subtle and he corrupts our minds. Look at this again, verse 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. And prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. And men to, uh, of strength to mingle strong drink. Listen. Which justify the wicked for reward. Most of everything in our culture that is evil. That is called good. And that is justified. That is wicked. It's for reward. It's for money. And you better see right through it. Or you're going to get deceived. Which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. What do they do? They take away the righteousness of the righteous from them. That's what you're living right now. Everything is an assault on God and God in you. And on righteousness and to take away your righteousness from you. There's a scripture in Isaiah 59. Go there. Everybody okay so far? I'm getting out of this introduction. Hang in there. I had to set this up. We're getting to what I want to say now. Isaiah 59. Look at verse 14. And you need to mark this now because you're going to need it. And your friends are going to need it. And you're going to have to explain it. Because you live in, a, again, a world in which there are peers your age that have never seen a Bible. They've never been in a church. They've never heard Even the message of the gospel. 
And so you've got to know some of these basic things to be able to explain it to them. Look at verse 14. God's not real happy over Israel's backsliding. And it says, and judgment is turned away backward. And justice standeth afar off. When you really look at our culture, justice is standing afar. Our department, politically, our department of justice today is the department of injustice. There are so many things going on that are unjust, unjust, unrighteous in our political world, in our media world, in our educational world. That, that justice is held back in the name of some of the craziest stuff. Political correctness is destroying your, your generation. And it's done in the name of justice. Injustice in man's wisdom is done in the name of justice. Look at this again. And judgment is turned away backward and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity or fairness, honesty and integrity cannot enter. Now, here's what I want you to mark. Yea, truth falleth, and he that departeth from evil, he that departeth from evil, maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it and was displeased of him, because there was no judgment. There was no judgment. Notice that when you depart from evil, what happens to you? You become prey. You become a target. If you go to a college campus today at large, you may be the only person in that class that believes in Jesus. And I guarantee you that whole class and usually the professor themselves will gang up on you if you said anything about anything. Like, well, I don't believe in evolution. (gasps) What? How stupid can you be? Yeah, I just don't believe all this just happened. I don't believe I went from, from, from goo to the zoo to you. And if we came from monkeys, how come no monkeys are turning into people today? Now, there's monkeys teaching on our college campuses. But you'll never see a monkey become a person. Amen or oh me. And isn't it fascinating how they evolved on into a male and a female? And we still haven't seen one for thousands of years do it again. And yet people believe in all that stuff. And the whole universe is screaming out there's a God. And that you have to have help. It takes a lot more faith than I have. To believe we just happened. That that universe out there that screams of the glory of God and testifies the galaxies, the solar systems, the stars, the rotation of everything, the order, the earth, creation itself is screaming there's a God and that you came, you came from him. And yet you'll be mocked and made fun of and under assault if you was to dare to say you don't believe in evolution. But you believe in creation. And you believe that God created the earth and the universe and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You want to really be mocked? You really want to get an F? Stand up and say you don't believe in global warming. (laughs) Man-made global warming. Stand up and say, wait a second. If the oil came from the dinosaurs, my God, how many of them were here? Do you realize if oil came from dinosaurs that died, how many dinosaurs would have had to die for all the oil we've already spent and extracted from the earth? And yet you stand up and go, I don't believe the oil really came from the dinosaurs, that there's probably even oil being created right now. It's a natural resource. 
God created the oil. You'll be told that your cows farting, excuse me, I'm sorry, your cows breaking wind are destroying the ozone. Cows pooping. Cows. Well, there went one layer of the ozone right there. And you're the idiot. Do you know, I found out a long time ago, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either in Christ, the family of God, or the Adam's family. That'll hit you later. They think we're the weirdos. Because we believe God created the earth and the solar system. And while we need to be good stewards of it, and we don't believe in pollution, and we don't believe in in destroying our environment, we do not have the power within ourselves to destroy this planet. It's being reserved until the day of judgment because we believe there's a God and that He is upholding all things by the word of His power, according to Hebrews chapter 1. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, uh, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God's word created all that is and God's word upholds all that is. And until God says so, The sun's coming up in the morning and it'll go down in the evening and seed time and harvest will remain. There'll be be winter and there'll be summer. I do believe in global warming. It's called summer. (laughs) Y'all aren't getting this. Let me close with Proverbs 29. And I'm not going to close exactly there. But we'll we'll be circling the airport. We're going to land this puppy soon. Amen. I'm really not trying to irritate any of you. I'm trying to make a point. And I'm thinking I'm making it at least, even if you disagree with it, that you stand for anything that is against the culture and you will be assaulted, attacked, marginalized, mocked. On and on I could go all night long with everything you're facing. Every day, boom, 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 boom. And if you, if you love the praise of men more than the praise of God, you will not obey God in these last days. In Proverbs 29, I quoted this earlier, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. You need to underline that because that just said you're an abomination tonight no matter what. (laughs) Y'all didn't even get that one. That just said that to a wicked man, the just is an abomination. And to the just man, the wicked is an abomination. In other words, you're going to be an abomination no matter what. You don't get to choose whether you're going to be an abomination. All you get to choose is which side of the aisle are you going to be on. You don't get to choose whether you're going to be an abomination. And man, I wish somebody would have set me down like you're doing right now. Especially at your age. This would have lit my fire. This would have gave me courage. It may not be helping you, but it would have helped me. (laughs) Because I was so intimidated and I was just so... I mean, I got beat down in college where I just collapsed. Totally collapsed. 
just because of the rejection, the mocking. It didn't matter what I, it didn't matter what I believed in. Boom. And that was in the 70s. I can't imagine what it's like today and what many of you are facing. Because in the eyes of the world, you're an abomination. And it ain't going to get any better. So what are you going to do? You're going to go on their side? Then become an abomination to the righteous? And to God? No way. No way. Let me close with this. This is the closing. How do we overcome all this persecution? How do we overcome this assault? This daily assault on our faith? Acts 2.42. I'm building my entire ministry. Churches on Acts 2.42. Jacob and I are working on it again. I've been at the church I'm at now for 25 years. And I have eight locations. And we, we build the locations on these principles. Acts 2.42 Thousands of people just got saved, and it says they continued daily in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. You're doing that. I want to commend Zach, and and I believe it was Ann. Did I get that right? Ann? Lauren? Who was, was there an Ann? Did I meet an Ann? Anna. Boy, thank you, God. I didn't want that to get back to Sue. I know, honey, I met an Ann, something. Anna. Praise the Lord. (laughs) where was I? I know where I was. I was testing you. Acts 2.42. The apostles dark. They continued in it daily. Listen, you got to get in the word of God. You got to keep getting together and get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Get in the word of God. Have fun. All the activities you're doing, I'm going to get to those. They're important, but you've got to know the word of God. You've got to hammer some of this stuff out. That's why that series on God's love would help you and this whole group as much as anything I've got to teach you that God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. People reject God's love is why there's a hell. And hell wasn't built for people. It was built for the devil and his angels. And Isaiah said, hell hath enlarged her mouth to receive the wicked. I needed to be taught that. Why does hell have to enlarge her mouth to receive the wicked? Because God built hell just big enough for the devil and his angels. He doesn't want any person to go there. But people refuse to accept his love. They refuse to obey him and yield to him and follow him. They don't want to go to heaven. I don't know what's wrong with us. If people don't want to come to church, why would they want to go to heaven? So hell has to enlarge its mouth to receive the wicked. You need to understand all those things. Secondly is fellowship. Kononia. You're doing that. I heard it in the announcements. You're getting together. You need to share your faith. Share your faith with at least people around you that won't mock you. So that you can develop your boldness to share it with a lost person. Every single one of you have friends or extended friends that need the Lord. And it's difficult to share your faith. And you need to learn how not to be combative. And, and, and what we're accused of that we're falsely accused of. I have never pushed my faith off on anybody. I can't even go to Walmart without people coming up to me and asking for prayer and counseling and I don't have to force my faith off on anybody. Man, if you love Jesus and you just walk with Jesus, people will come to you. You just have to be faithful to share. And the more you share Jesus, it's like breaking bread. When he broke, he blessed the bread and he broke it, it multiplied. He is the bread of life. He is the manna from heaven that came down. And when he he is shared out of your heart, it's like breaking him and it multiplies on the inside of you. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, They overcame him, the devil. The devil is the source of persecution. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. You have to share what Jesus has done in your life somewhere at some level. And that's why these groups that you have, these small groups, 
It's a safe environment. Share what Jesus is doing in your life. Share your faith. You'll get stronger and stronger where you can share it outside. Third one, breaking of bread. That's covenant. Get established in your covenant with God that he will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. He's made a covenant to never leave or forsake you even unto the ends of the world. He's made a covenant to be nigh you in your heart and in your mouth. Speak his word. Covenant with God, listen, and covenant with each other. Community. You need each other, saints. You need this. I apologize. I've gone a long time. And you probably don't need anybody going this long. But you need these seasons together. And you need family, covenant. Don't turn on one another. Don't hurt one another. Purpose in your heart to, to be friends for a lifetime. Because you need each other in this hour. And then the last one's prayers. Prayers. Man, when you start praying for each other, your faith increases. Your resolution increases. When you start praying and seeing something happen, I got a series on, on Lord Teach Us to Pray. I prayed for the first 15 years of my walk with God. I didn't see one prayer answered in 15 years. That'll discourage you. I prayed all the time. What I didn't know is I wasn't praying. I was complaining and whining. and calling it prayer. And I wasn't seeing anything happen. For 32 years, I've had every prayer answered but one. I'm talking about my prayer now between me and God for me. Praying for other people I don't have near that track record. For my family, it's in the 90s. Every prayer I've prayed for my kids, it's in the high 90s. Every prayer I've prayed for my family, it's in the 90s. When it comes to my church, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's 50, 40. So it starts to decline because of the elements involved in faith and prayer and people really standing with you but i'm saying in my own life 15 years not one prayer answered 32 and only one not answered this prayer thing's fun once you start seeing something happen it's when you pray and nothing happens you go wow i guess god's just my imaginary friend (laughs) sorry that's what i went through i'm not projecting that on you I'm just saying after 15 years, I'm thinking, is this just an imaginary friend or is there a God? Does he hear me or not? Does he care or not? Once I started praying right and praying in line with the Bible, like I teach people to pray now, boom, I started seeing things happen. It'll, it'll fire you up. For the first time in my adult life, on a national level, I've seen three prayers finally answered, only three. I've prayed for our nation my whole adult life and not seen one prayer answered. Until recently, I've seen three prayers I've specifically prayed come to pass for our nation. A change. I'm seeing movement. And so it's encouraging me greatly. Thank you for coming. This is Zach Blair. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I truly hope that the message that we shared deeply impacted your life today. But there is one more thing that I'd like to challenge you in. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity into the hearts of each man. So I know right now that there are those listening to this podcast right now under the sound of my voice that have eternity in their hearts and don't know what would happen to them when they die. Jesus said plainly in John six forty seven, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Do you know if you've ever put your faith and your trust completely and solely in him? Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. But the great thing about this salvation is that it doesn't just affect us in the life to come, that we don't have to just have hope at the end. 
that we can have hope now, that as we ask God into our heart, we ask him into our world as well. And it changes everything right now as well as in the future. So if you would like to know if Jesus is your Lord, you can pray this prayer with me and Jesus will come into your heart. Just say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was raised from the dead. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord right now. Come into my heart and make me brand new. I'm now a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast has been brought to you by 19 North. For more details, please visit www.19north.tv.